You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast as we roll into game number five for Penn State. It's homecoming on Saturday. The Purdue Boilermakers, a hobbled Boilermakers squad, coming to Happy Valley for a noon kickoff at Beaver Stadium. Uh, we'll start to take a look ahead towards that game. We'll wrap up what we saw down in College Park in Maryland. For those of you who were down there, uh, wow, it, it certainly was an impressive showing for Penn State fans and obviously for the team. Sean is working his way through that game film with a fine-tooth comb and trying to find things to get angry about and complain about from a Penn State perspective. But quite frankly, it was a really impressive performance, uh, fresh out of James Franklin's press conference here uh, in State College, and and he reiterated uh, it was a complete performance that has you know not been seen often around Penn State during his six seasons so uh, not downplaying it among the staff the players are excited we'll see what's in store as they roll on uh, Sean Penn State 4-0 number 12 in the AP poll number 11 in the coaches poll no changes there but here internally just among you and I um, I think the perception is beginning to move in a positive direction as you continue to watch that film from Saturday. And, and they've got a team coming to town that, as I said, is going to be limping in. And, and Penn State appears to be in a situation where they should be licking their chops. Well, you don't want to get too high, but you you have to say this was a satisfy, satisfying win for Penn State staff. I mean, it is basically, you know, anytime that you get a new coach, you get that new coach bump. And we're talking the recruiting aspect of it right now. You get that new coach bump. And then, you know, it's it's tough to overcome some of those things. you got local guys looking at, at a school like Maryland that, you know, maybe wouldn't have gone there under DJ Durkin. So you, you have a bunch going against you. Then you go out and you turn in a performance like that, 59 nothing. Uh, Maryland just, I mean, all in on that game on Friday night. Like the classes being canceled and the, the extra bleachers and plenty being made about it. Um, and honestly, I think they're a little bit lucky that they played on that on that Friday night because there was a lot of high school games going on. Um, it's it's one of those times, one of those rare times. And I get asked about this all the time: Does does one game ever change anything in recruiting? And, and it's really not uh, not an issue most of the time. This is one game. This is one sort of. Uh, I guess, perfect storm that could knock Maryland's progress, you know, far off its hinges. So um, I think that's, you know, that, that's probably for a Maryland podcast, but just to go out and just get your doors blown off, look bad doing it for, for Penn State fans to take over that stadium. Um, I, I talked to a bunch of kids from the DMV this week and they were really buzzing about, you know, how much Penn State and what kind of impact Penn State made on them just on Friday night. So big plus for the Nittany Lions, uh, big minus for the Terps. And hey, it's an, it's an in, uh, in-region divisional opponent. So you got to feel pretty good about coming out of it. And meanwhile, Friday night, Virginia Tech, which has just been scrambling on the recruiting trail to, to kind of piece together their class, really struggling to, to bring in players, they go down 45-10 to 10 at home to Duke. So the, the opportunities are there for Penn State. When you put together a performance like that, it certainly helps the cause. Uh, you had a piece up, uh, t- speaking to some of those kids from the DMV area, and um, and, and you know, it, Sean, that game, I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I want to reiterate 
that campus was was ready for for the moment. Uh, you know, the, I, I got there you know, two and a half, three hours before the game, and just driving driving through a sea of people dressed in black. Uh, Terps fans, you know, they were they were ready to answer the call, and, and obviously Penn State, you know, just stomped on any kind of aspirations for them to kind of gain a national spotlight in the positive fashion. Ends up being a, a, another you know further coming out party for KJ Hamler for some of the national viewing audience who wasn't necessarily familiar with him after his first year of college football. And to get right to it with Sean Clifford, he shares the Offensive Player of the Week honors in the Big Ten. Tanner Morgan, quarterback from Minnesota, threw only one complete, complete, one incomplete pass and four touchdowns in a victory over this Purdue team that we're going to talk about. So hard to really, uh, you know, say that Sean was robbed from getting the full thing because Morgan put together a heck of a game. But yeah, first road game for Sean Clifford. You know, he did his part to, to show that Penn State does have life after Trace McSorley and it, it potentially could be very explosive based on this first conference matchup. We've been banging on Clifford for a couple of weeks now based off of the performance that he put forth in the pit game. Uh, completely different uh, outlook right now. I mean, you, and you don't want to get too high. Maryland's very bad, uh, but you don't want to get too high. or you, you don't want to, I guess, completely sell Sean Clifford short. He made some very good decisions, both in the pass and the run game. And I think the most important thing, he really took what they gave him. And also, you know, the coaching staff really took what they gave him. So uh, it was really good to see him, you know, make some plays with his feet and dump the ball off to his running backs and combat pressure by using the, the short screen game and things like that. So, I mean, really the execution of Sean Clifford from the start of this game. I mean, from from that timeout that they took that everybody was angry about to the time they got a, that he got pulled for Will Levis. I mean, he was in control of the game, uh, made some good throws, uh, didn't made some. Uh, I mean, even even when it looked like he was making the wrongness, he had, he had one in the second quarter where he could have handed it to Journey Brown. It looked like Journey could have walked in the end zone. He actually made the right read on that play, and, that, and Maryland ends up making a good play. So, I mean, he was just on. Uh, still, still some room for improvement, but. The jump that he's made in the in the last two weeks, coming off that pit game to now, I mean, really, I you you really couldn't see that coming. He's a guy who talks the talk about being a, a film buff and just like you, Sean, a guy who wants to dive into the tape and and, and critique himself. Um, and at the end of the day, he walked the walk because he came out of the bye week clearly emerging as a just a more polished passer, a guy who looked like he was able to anticipate everything at every turn, and part of that is. Well, what were you doing, Maryland? But a lot of that is obviously kudos to Penn State's coaching staff, kudos to the guys internally in that offensive room in the quarterback room for preparing themselves for that moment. And that starts with Sean Clifford right now offensively, 452 total yards, uh, four uh, touchdowns in that game. But Sean, one subject that we haven't talking about as much as maybe we thought we would when we were breaking things down in August and trying to get a grasp of this team is that offensive front. And they can't be left out of here. Michael Mennett, the center, uh, was recognized by the Penn State coaching staff as the co-offensive player of the game, along with Sean Clifford coming off of this one. And then those tackles, you have them noted here, Rasheed Walker, uh, Will Fries. Uh, those guys have been steadily getting the job done. I think Will Fries has been consistent from day one, but you watch Rasheed Walker for, you know, just keep your eyeballs on him for a play or two, and I promise you're going to start to put together the pieces of why this kid was considered a top 50, top 100 kind of prospect coming out of high school in Maryland. The talent pops with Rasheed Walker. There's no doubt about it. Uh, really excited to see what he develops into over the next two years. 
um, because I think he's going to be a good one. He's got some things to work on with hand placement, but uh, just in terms of size and athleticism and, and him being ready, kind of having the intangibles to be ready. On the other side, you had Jalen Duncan, who started at left tackle for Maryland. Similar prospects uh, for similar backgrounds. Rashid was just a little bit more ready coming out of high school, and they're both redshirt freshmen now. They're both starting now. And that time that Rashid got uh, through his redshirt year, the little bit of uh, game action that he saw last year, I think, really paid off. And now he's, you know, we, we talked all summer long about those lapses that we expected to see from him as a redshirt freshman starting for the first time. And really, I haven't seen much of it in the last month. So now, you know, the players will start getting better. They're going to see Iowa next weekend, which is obviously always has good defensive linemen. Michigan State, you can say the same about them. And then, of course, Michigan and Ohio State. So we'll see how they hold up. But so far, the offensive line, I know that they're really the first people that get thrown under the bus when Penn State's offense is struggling. They've they've done fine. I mean, they've, they've been borderline good. Michael Menitz had a good year. Will Fries has probably had the best year out of all of them. Um, you're still a little bit inconsistent at the guard spots. Uh, Mike Miranda didn't have his best game. C.J. Thorpe came in and, and, and was a good run blocker um, against Maryland. But uh, yeah, I can't complain about that offensive line right now. And, and looking on the other side of the football, we, we speak a lot, Sean, about the depth at running back. And we've, we spent a considerable amount on this podcast. And, and, and for me, putting together Too words, much time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about these four guys. But how about that linebacker group and how they're able to go too deep? And, and really, you can look at view it in some spots three deep. We saw that as the game progressed. One thing that stood out to James Franklin was the ability for this defense as they turned to third stringers, as they turned to true freshmen. And they said, here, we're placing our trust in you. Go keep that zero on the scoreboard. Uh, you know, they, they kept it revved up. There was a lot of energy on the field. I thought a, a play that really epitomized that was Keaton Ellis uh, ripping the ball away and, and, and just doing his best to, to force another turnover. Number three on the day for Penn State. Adiza Isaac came in, uh, one and a half sacks, two and a half t- uh, tackles for loss. But this linebacker group was in the spotlight because you lose Micah Parsons only about halfway through that first quarter and you think, well, there goes arguably your best player on your entire roster. Uh, you know, sequestered to the locker room. Jesse Lucetta came in, and he's a guy that you know had some ups and downs earlier this year in his appearances. Thought to get, he put together a very good performance, and then Ellis Brooks is a guy who popped up two and a half sacks. Uh, you know, he was really getting after it, and I think Cam Brown stays consistent. But you know, you had Jan Johnson out there, interception, a big pass, a pass tipped early when this game was still in contention, and Charlie Catshear out there getting some significant run. Um, as the second guy up behind Cam Brown. So um, I think they continue to prove defensively as these games wear on that they can bring in those rotations. They're not going to get in spots where, where they have pitfalls because of what they have going on at different positions. And it's a big reason why this team is number two in all of college football in points allowed per game with 7.5. Because even when these games have gotten out of hand and they've emptied the sidelines a bit, still not relinquishing much on the ground through the air. Um, this defense is really impressed and it's showing that it is uh, that as deep as we kind of anticipated it could be. Yeah, yeah, they're deep. That You absolutely nailed it. Uh, you look at Brooks and Lucetta. These are two guys that were actually pretty bad against Idaho to open the season, just wide-eyed, getting their feet wet, all that kind of stuff. And then they turn around and have a performance like this. And obviously you don't want Micah tossed with the, the targeting call. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be something that probably benefits Jesse Lucetta here in the long run. So uh, curious to see how these guys continue to go. I think Cam Brown's playing good football right now. Parsons played really well against Pitt two weeks ago, and they'll get him back this week. They don't have to, you know, he doesn't have to sit out the first half because that, that penalty happened in the first half. 
And and Johnson and Brooks, I mean, they're getting a little bit closer. I, I, there's there's not as much noticeable drop off play to play. And I know Brooks is maybe uh, he he made the splash on the sack and things like that. But uh, I I think Johnson consistently has been better. I think that gap is closed. I think uh, Brooks is going to start cutting into his reps a little bit here. And we talked about it all the time, how important it is for Penn State with the way they use their defensive line, the way they use the depth there, keeps them fresh late in the game. You can apply that to other positions as well. And very clearly, I think even as they get deeper in a Big Ten play, I still don't think you're going to see a major restriction on reps to one guy at a lot of these spots. We kind of saw that last year. I think right now they like what they've got. I think Brent Pry has been able to scheme up various things depending on what personnel package he wants to tap into. Sean Spencer can do the same thing up front, and they're developing that depth at cornerback too. So, you know, I think defensively in their good place. Sean, looking ahead at that kind of what's next here, I mentioned this on the postgame podcast. This team is so primarily composed of players who are in their first year in key roles and, and kind of being counted on to, to move, get keep the train rolling in the right direction as young players. And this is a test for them. I think just as uh, that pit game was was kind of a nail-biter test and it, uh, it kind of gave everybody a little bit of a, a jolt to the heart and, and going down to the wire like that, a nail-biter. On the flip side, this is a game where you are going to get a lot of love from the local media, from the national media. You're going to get individual accolades like we saw Sean Clifford get. You're going to have K.J. Hamler going viral with his touchdown play. Get back in Beaver Stadium for a noon kickoff against a team that you know is coming in here with some issues and a 1-3 and record. I think it's a big test to see how they come out of the tunnel, come out in that first quarter. Can they shrug off what they did at Maryland? And, and sometimes it's funny to use that phrase, but sometimes you do need to shrug off the, the highs of the highest win you've experienced so far. Yeah, it's tough to do because, I mean, you're going to come in with a noon kick. I mean, it's going to be homecoming, but it's probably going to be a little sleepy uh, given the opponent, given the everything that sort of, I mean, I guess it's going to be warm this week and then cool down for the weekend. You know, just kind of, there's there's things outside of it, but you need to deal with all that things. And that was one of the, 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 the main keys that we talked about going into the game at Maryland is, is dictate the circumstances. Don't let the circumstances dictate you. They went in there, obviously a big game atmosphere for the Terps and really just flipped it on its head right away. And that's something they have to do this weekend when they get to Purdue. Again, not sure what you're going to get from the Boilermakers. Elijah Sindelair is not going to play. I think collarbone surgery this week. And then Rondale Moore, of course, who I was really looking forward to seeing play uh, selfishly. But I think Penn State will be fine not preparing for them. So you just keep up with that. You keep up with the game plan that you had, taking some of the easy stuff. Purdue uh, is a roster in transition, sort of like Maryland was last week, sort of a, uh, you know, a mix of the older guys, you know, the the guys that played for the previous staff and, and, and Brahms guys that are in there. So, I mean, you'll, you'll see a bunch from, uh, I think a bunch of correlation with, with Maryland that you'll see with Purdue uh, on Saturday, if that makes any sense, but you just have to keep rolling, keep with it. Don't get too high because Maryland sucks because Purdue is not, you know, going to be the best the team you play in, in October. Um, so it, it's, it, it's sort of just keeping that energy and going, going with it. And I think it's a, it's a pretty important talking point if you're James Franklin, because this is a, a lesson that you can teach those younger guys coming off of a, of a, of a beating of a team that you were so much better than and facing another team that you're also still better than to keep that up because you don't, you know, you don't want to look ahead to Iowa. You don't want to look ahead to the other games in October and, and then into November. So I think it's an important moment for James Franklin to, to, to sort of, get across his one and zero mentality to, um, to this team, even though it's, it's on the other side of what we're usually talking about with that. 
Yeah, this will test that. And it's amazing. Just less than three weeks ago, Sean, uh, you've got Maryland coming off a game in which they posted 42 points in the first uh, in the first half against Syracuse, who was a ranked team. All of a sudden, Maryland's ranked for the first time in six years. And you've got Penn State coming off a game in which they scored seven points and went into halftime trailing Buffalo in a night game at Beaver Stadium. And, you know, you got to work your way through this early stage of the schedule. And quite frankly, when it comes to college football, we're talking about a lot of teenagers, 20, 21 year olds, uh, it, you never quite can expect even performances, even at the highest level. Look, look what Clemson was dealing with last week. Uh, but, but I think Penn State, you're seeing them, you know, piece together things, and, and you want this to be a confidence, confident team. These young players are, are 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 still trying to figure out who they are as college players. They all have strong histories at the high school level. They all came to campus with expectations. But once you can actually get on that bus after a game, get on the plane after a game, and kind of let it soak in that you went and accomplished that goal, I think they, they feel really good coming off of this. And if they can keep it rolling against Purdue, that'll set the stage very well for, for what has shaped up for a long time to me as 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 a big, okay, here we go, buckle up game with, on the road at Iowa. And then October really takes off. Off from there uh but but this week sean um a, a few things to take away from from james franklin's press conference on tuesday um one of them was really notable i, I put that up uh, an article up just a moment ago on lines 24 7 uh, a bit of an audible called by the penn state staff regarding their red shirt approach um they went into the season a few days beforehand uh the iowa before the idaho game franklin said seven green light players among this freshman class now there are five green light players and two that he would qualify as yellow. So they're taking a wait and see approach with linebacker Lance Dixon and offensive tackle Caden Wallace. And, and you noted both of those guys uh, in your freshman tracker that you posted on Lines 24-7 Monday. Both of those guys did not play against Maryland. They were on the travel roster. Each of them played in all three non-conference games. Uh, but, but I think this has more to do with what's ahead of them. In fact, I, I know it has more to do with what's ahead of them on the roster than their individual performance. Performances, I believe. You look at where Lance Dixon is right now, Sean. He's number three at Will Linebacker. He's gotten some work at other spots, but he's number three on the depth chart behind Parsons and Luketta. And then Caden Wallace, we just talked about how well uh, your starters are playing at tackle. There's clearly a lot of confidence as Des Holmes being the next man up. He's gotten some work there. Uh, they don't want to burn red shirts just for special teams play. I, and, and that's where Caden Wallace was getting his work, point after touchdown, field goal, Lance Dixon, a lot of special teams coverage. Uh, so that could change in the future. But as of right now, that's the game plan. So with three games already under their belt, get the sense that they're going to be stashed away for for the time being injuries could change that performance on the practice field could change that, but a little bit of candidness regarding that situation from James Franklin on Tuesday. You, you weren't getting the reps to justify losing an entire year for guys like Dixon. I mean, you mentioned Caden Wallace was on the field goal and, and uh, extra point team. I think he was replaced by maybe judge Culpepper or something. So, I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not really worth it. I mean, you, he's your fourth tackle, but at the same time, you've, you've only had to use three tackles and Des Holmes really hasn't had a ton of run uh, to begin with. Um, and you can slide Bryce Efner in there. You could do a, a couple of different things. Um, but on, on the flip side, you got Dixon who's covering kicks. Well, They've they've had three kicks returned against them, so I mean that's basically what you're you, what you've been using him for. Now he got some time early in the season with, with some blowouts and and got in there, but moved Brandon Smith over to his position at the Sam, and they feel comfortable. I mean Brandon Smith obviously ahead of Lance Dixon right now as a linebacker, so um, I, I can see the the reasoning. It, it's unfortunate really that they 
you know, found this out maybe a game late where they could have used Caden Wallace against Rutgers later in the year. They could have used Lance Dixon, you know, at, at linebacker later in the year to maybe against Rutgers. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not piling it on. It's just the kind of the way it goes. Uh, R.I.P. Chris Ash, by the way. I'm sorry, um, but uh, it's a uh, it's a situation that you wish you probably could have discovered earlier. But with the four red shirt or the four game red shirt rule, you've got some flexibility there. And the five uh, who still do have that green light applied. Um, You've got in the backfield, Noah Kane, Devin Ford. Fans quickly becoming familiar with them. Brandon Smith at linebacker. Adiza Isaac at defensive end. And who am I? Oh, Keaton Ellis at cornerback, of course, who forced the turnover against Maryland. Mentioned Isaac flashed late in that game against Maryland. Got into the backfield a bunch. And and Brandon Smith has, has been you know pretty impressive every time we've had a chance to see him. And needless to say, those running backs are, are continuing to do their thing in their first year on campus. So uh, they'll roll forward with that. Last year, I believe it was eight true freshmen, including walk-on Rafael Checa, who was handling kickoff duties in 2018, ended up burning their red shirts at this point. Uh, you're looking at five, and, and that could change. But uh, four of those guys, with the exception being Isaac, when they hit the field against Purdue, will officially be moving on from that freshman status next year. They'll be sophomores. Uh, but look across this team right now, Sean, and you can see the benefit of getting guys those four games of experience and not crossing that threshold and maintaining the red shirt. You've got Rashid Walker, Jason Owe, um, Daniel George, Justin Shorter. Those are some of the guys who played four games last year and, and now are, are in key roles for you their second year on campus it's been an interesting rule it's interesting to see how Penn State navigates through it um, and clearly that they're still evolving in that process can add uh, Trent Gordon to that mix as a second team corner with Donovan Johnson out he did not make the trip to Maryland um, after that injury in the pit game but yeah you're, you're absolutely right that four game rule is for experimentation you saw Devon Ellis and Marquise Wilson got in for the first time Played Joey Porter Jr. a couple of times, and he looks he looks pretty good. Porter um, Porter and, looks good, doesn't he? Yeah, he's. I mean, he looks the part. He, he's he's every bit of that length uh, that we've talked about, and he's he, he can run too. He, I think he's probably a little bit deceptively fast. Ran a couple four fours this summer, um, so it's uh, it, it's really working out well for them. And then you've got uh, other opportunities to play guys on special teams if you need them, and then you get around to the Rutgers game, the bowl game, the things at the end of the year, Indiana possibly, um, where you get a chance to see a little bit more of these guys if you're in the spots that you think you want to or you're in the spots that you want to be in um but yeah i mean it's uh dixon and wallace is what it is kane ford they're still in the mix nobody's redshirting them i keep getting questions about which <laughs> running back are they going to redshirt i mean both of these guys look really good i mean this, uh, there's no question about uh the talent and can they fit in with with ricky slade and journey brown and that's something that we're going to keep can uh, keep seeing and i know i've got mailbag questions about the running backs also by the way i got mailbag question about the the green and yellow light so please read our stuff i mean it's it's all in the stuff we write um before we go on podcast so uh, do yourself a favor and read our stuff um but uh yeah it's it, it's shaping up to be very interesting and and we'll see what kind of impact this has on the turnover of the roster um in two or three years just because it's a, you're going to see a lot more guys not using that red shirt yeah it's going to be really interesting i think i think overall uh as well with those guys getting some early looks i think across college football you're going to see more red shirt sophomores leaving after their red shirt sophomore year so that's that's a trend that i anticipate 
will kind of follow up as as another wave of, of, of ramifications from the red shirt change. But we'll get to that down the road. Purdue right now, you looked at this game on paper in the offseason and you figured this Purdue team is on the rise. They beat a couple top 25 teams last year in Iowa and, of course, Ohio State when the Buckeyes were ranked second nationally. Rondell Moore was a consensus All-American as a freshman, uh, scintillating kick returner and, and a wide receiver last year, just crazy numbers. And then, you know, you've got a lot of returning pieces. All of a sudden, though, Sean, the four games in, they had a disaster of a first game. They went on the road to Nevada. They gave up 20 unanswered points to finish that game, and they lost on a 56-yard field goal as time expired. Since then, uh, you know, they, they've, they've gone one and three. They, they beat Vanderbilt. They've lost the last couple games, including last week against Minnesota. But more than losing games, they're losing bodies. Uh, Rondell Moore is the big one, but they're down a quarterback. Uh, they're down a linebacker. They're down a defensive tackle. They're down to another wide receiver. I mean, the list goes on and on. I put it up uh, the other, uh, I think yesterday on Monday. Um, right now, they're turning to redshirt freshman Jack Plummer, who has not played a road game yet. He's going to get introduced to Beaver Stadium on, on homecoming at Penn State. Um, and a name to know here, though, and I asked Franklin about this, and I'm going to have a story up, and we're not going to get too down the rabbit hole with, with Purdue because we do have our a game preview podcast coming up later in the week. But David Bell should be a name that anyone who follows Penn State recruiting is very familiar with. He took an official visit to, to, to see uh, State College last year. It wasn't his only visit. If I'm not mistaken, he came to the Lash Bash. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. He was uh, Penn State was in this. It was a huge win for them. He was an all-time talent out of Indianapolis. So just an absolute star at the high school uh, level there. And you know he went for 100 yards last week when he was called upon to step up with Rondell Moore sideline. So it's not just the injuries. There, there's also some intrigue with Purdue, but uh, I, I think they would love to to, to trade the intrigue for uh, some healthy players, starting with Rondell Moore, who. Franklin said, and no one's going to buy it, but he would like to see Rondell Moore on the football field. You want to beat a team at its best. Uh, but, you know, you're looking to stack up wins and not having Rondell Moore out there returning kicks or trying to return kicks with Stout there and, and, and catching short passes, long passes, and everywhere in between. It's going to help Penn State's case. I don't think he's going to lose sleep over not seeing Rondell no. Moore on the other side there. Uh, two things. Number one, you skipped the uh, bullet point I had about tweeting during the game and the Lawn Boys chain. I assume Oops. that was on purpose. Um, but yeah, Purdue is uh, an interesting team. I mentioned that roster makeup and, you know, it's a team that's in transition and they're not there yet and they're not a deep team because of it. And uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where, it, it, you know, it's 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 that transition phase and you thought you were in a good spot with the guys that you had with Cindelaire and then more. And then all of a sudden they just kind of, you know, it just kind of falls all, all out from under you. Uh, not a very good team. Uh, I don't really think Minnesota's a great team. Minnesota beat them last week. And Minnesota, by the way, could be 8-0 by the time they face Penn State. Uh, I think that's early November or late October. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going uh, to be an interesting one. Although the most interesting thing, Jack Plummer is a quarterback from Arizona, no relation to Jake the Snake, which... Uh, well, quite disappointing. Quite yeah, disappointing. I, I, I'm a little disappointed, but I'm glad I just read that because I was about to go all in on him being the son of, of former uh, everything quarterback Jake Plummer. I won't name the teams that he's been a part of, um, but Arizona State quarterback. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I think it sets up nicely for Penn State. Of course, you don't want to look ahead to the night game at, at Iowa, which, by the way, was announced as a night game finally this week. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting setup, but I think Penn State will be okay, and we'll talk talk about that later this week yeah we'll jump into that um we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we got some recruiting to get to on the other side so stick with us this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Turning our attention to the recruiting trail, Penn State picked up another commitment on Friday. Uh, may have gone a, a, a little on notice for some fans who were focused in on the game, maybe traveling to the game. Uh, but Elijah Gaines, a safety prospect um, out of Episcopal Academy in Virginia, the same program that produced Jonathan Sutherland, though Sutherland was a, a transplant from Canada at the same position, no less uh, safety, uh, committing to Penn State on Friday. Sean, this is a, a name that um, we had kind of focused in on at safety and, and it, it happened, it seemed to develop pretty quickly. The crystal balls came, the decision came and, and again, kind of covertly a nice addition to the class. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, he's a transplant from New York city uh, at Episcopal. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a good pickup. It's a safety that probably, you know, he's another one of those big safeties. You're not sure which way he's going to develop. Is is he eventually going to be a Sam uh, linebacker, it's hard to say, but uh, yeah, he's got he's got a nice skill set, runs fairly well for his size, um, and he's there's a lot to like about him. He's not the blazer that Mordecai McDaniel was, who of course McDaniel committed to uh, to Tennessee uh, just before the season, I believe. Um, but uh, you know, you, you brought him in for an official visit, got a good look at him, he seemed to fit in with the uh, you know the players and, and and what you like to do. He's a good kid. I keep hearing uh, great things about him off the field, so. Um, really uh, a, a good addition to the class. Uh, they're going to keep uh, pounding away. There's really no position that you can really go at and single out and say, hey, this is where they need to add numbers. Of course, they'd love to add another corner. Uh, you know, they're still looking at linebackers. They're still looking at offensive tackles as they always are. And of course, you've got the big names like Keandre Lambert and Theo Johnson and things like that still on the board. But Gaines is a good pickup. He's a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of schools were, were very intrigued by. Uh, I don't think he's close to a finished product. He's probably a guy that comes in and you know like a Tyler Rudolph last year comes in and red shirts and uh, maybe gives you something on special teams in, uh, in year two but you know it looks like a good pickup for Penn State. It's been a little tough to keep tabs on the total for Penn State's recruiting class uh, especially through the summer and even into the season now there's been some comings and goings but right now we're at is 26 commitments on board Sean. Uh, Franklin mentioned back in July at the Big Ten Media Days they were looking at a 30 player class and he sounded pretty confident in that. We'll see where things go, but that leaves you a little bit of wiggle room. And I think you start to get to the point where, you know, you're right. Look, you addressed offensive tackle. Uh, you've got those two running backs on board. Uh, we'll get to a receiver position in a moment, but looks like Penn State may be in a good spot to, to add to that stockpile. And you're starting to really look at, you know, who are the players that you can bring in, get to work with Dwight Galt. I mean, this is a program at Penn State. Uh, I think you kind of look position regardless uh, down the stretch here and just look at talent. And, and, and I think as Penn State continues to develop positive momentum, and if they're able to do that over the next few weeks and some big matchups coming up, that's going to help build their case on the recruiting trail for guys who maybe weren't giving the Nittany Lions a full glance back in August. Winning has a way of turning heads. Yeah, and numbers are going to be tough to balance here. Just be, I mean, I think he said at least 30. There's no real number to be attached to this class because um, with, with with the portal, it's changed some things with the 
the uh, initial counter rules and things like that has changed some things. So uh, no real number that we're going to stick on this class, but you still got guys out there that you're going to, you know, Lambert and Theo Johnson and, and some of these other guys that are committed to other schools, you're going to keep going after because, you know, crazy things happen. So we'll see what happens with uh, down the stretch, but uh, it's, it's an interesting situation to be in. And I think they can set themselves up uh, with a winning season, a really good uh, momentum grabbing season more so in 2021. We talked about the, the DMV kids that I talked talked to earlier this week, guys like Landon Tangwall uh, and, 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 and Caden Prather, uh, Ziga Wheatley, guys uh, down there that really caught their eye. And if you can you know, pair some of those guys with, uh, with folks like Hayden Rucci and some of those Pennsylvania kids, you've got a shot to, to get some momentum back. And, and I know that this time last year, we were talking about the, the Flemings and the Bressies and things like that. Uh, but if you can keep this momentum up, if you can keep uh, winning, you know, get, go in and win some road games and, and really get that, uh, that win total above where everybody thought it was going to be, you, you have a chance to set yourself up for a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice 2021 class yeah and they have some marketable players right now they are implementing a lot of young players that's what prospects really enjoy seeing because they can say okay there's some freshmen making making some noise and there's some redshirt freshmen making some noise a uh, penn state you look across their offensive uh personnel especially at top of that who's getting the snaps it's a lot of sophomores it's a lot of freshmen it's a lot of redshirt freshmen so and, and they're having fun they're they're wearing chains to have fun this is not uh <laughs> this is this is something that needs to be pounded into the head of some people you know that's something that can really help Penn State's got uh, you know when you ask prospects about Penn State there you know it's sort of an antique program that's you know stuck in the past this is something you know and it's and they're not Miami it's very different than the turnover chain Um, but it's something that brings them back and sort of closes that gap with with uh, suffice to say cooler programs I heard enough about the turnover chain at at James Franklin's press conference so I'm just going to move on with the conversation the long boys chain (laughs) what did I say oh the the turnover turnover oh man didn't hear about that heard plenty about the lawn boys and and what they choose to do on the sideline that does not impact the play of Penn State or what they do in the classroom but four wide receivers are on board right now Sean for this team Number five could be on the way. Friday, we have been looking for this one for a while. Keandre Lambert out of Maury High School in Norfolk, Virginia. A guy that ran a sub-four shuttle, which is just uh, quite absurd and puts him in a very elite category. And someone that I've seen and I've spoken about before, you've seen him. He really went out and, and, and handled his business on the camp circuit this year against some top talent. Uh, he's a guy who is extremely confident in his abilities, and for good reason. He is lighting it up again as a senior, and he's ready to determine his college fate. And you look at the crystal ball, you're in there, I'm in there, Brian Doan's in there, Steve Wolfong's in there. It's 100% to the Nittany Lions. This did not always appear to be the case, but as we creep closer to the announcement from Keandre Lambert, Nittany Lions fans starting to get a sense that a big addition is upcoming. You shorted him. He's a sub three nine shuttle, which is just ridiculous. Um, But uh, yeah, Keandre Lambert, tremendous physical talent. He's a guy that uh, you know probably has to add a little bit more mass. But uh, runs the ran the four five laser at Nike. Ran the three eight three shuttle at Nike. Had the thirty nine inch vertical, I believe it was. So just a a guy that you want to get in your strength program and get going because he can contribute early and he can he can be a big timer. I mean, you talk about the class that Penn State has right now with Jaden Dotton, Malik Mega, Parker Washington. And, and Juco transfer Norval Black, but I, I think it's I don't think it's going out on a limb and saying that Lambert would be the biggest uh, biggest get out of the the receivers in this class. So uh, really, you know, if Penn State can continue this momentum, grab him on Friday, uh, it sets themselves up nicely. Um, and I think it's interesting getting back to that class, and this is you know putting the cart before the horse. 
um, if Lambert does come to Penn State. But you've got a variance of talent, skill set, uh, body type, things like that when you're talking about this class. I mean, Dotton and Lambert are kind of skinny guys. Uh, Mega's a big kid. And Norval Black is sort of right in the middle. And Parker Washington's a smaller, probably slot guy eventually. Um, but you've got an opportunity to, to, to get a very varying set of skill sets. And it's really interesting. Charles Power from 24-7 Sports, one of our guys that, that we lean to for evaluations and things like that, has got a very good football eye, wrote a story a couple of weeks ago. Clemson has brought in very similar uh, bodies, very similar athletic skill sets at receiver. And they're struggling right now because the, uh, a lot of those guys are just the same. And they're uber talented. And these guys are, are, are fantastic uh, you know, pieces of clay as receivers. But when you're running three receivers out there and they all look the same, you know, they, all, they, they don't really offer anything different. You look at what Penn State's doing right now. You got Shorter on one side, and he's probably underutilized on that side. Um, but Hamler in the slot gave Maryland tremendous amount of uh, – of uh, trouble and Dotson's a little bit different on the other side on the outside there. So um, you, you get these guys into the program, you see what you can mix them in. Uh, you, you know, your, your, your big guys are going to be your X, your, your smoother guys on the outside are going to be your Y. And then you've got uh, Hamler and you know, guys like that in the slot. So, you're, you're varying the different body types and different athletes that you have at receiver. And I think that's something that you can really benefit from uh, just taking a couple of years into the future. Yeah, Clemson's struggling to the tune of 20 consecutive victories and trying to figure out which former five-star you know what receiver the hell to I go mean, to. Right? I know, we, and I did read the piece by Charles Power because I was interested in that. I remember, you know, T. Higgins and, and, and of course, Amari uh, – uh, geez, now I'm not going to get the name right. Uh, T. Higgins and Amari Cooper uh, being, you know, superstars in their own right, in their own class, and it seems like Clemson just kept doing it over and over again. Um, and, and it will be interesting because it is an eclectic mix here in 2019 or 2020 class for Penn State, isn't it? I mean, Mega is the guy that you kind of just let your imagination run wild with and see where he could go. Parker Washington, I think, you know, could be the stealth guy who comes in and 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 earns a spot as a true freshman in that rotation. And then I think Keandre Lambert, I look across this commitment list. I haven't seen everybody in person, seen probably, I don't know, at least a third of these guys on the camp scene uh, this year. Uh, but I Outside of Curtis Jacobs, I'm not sure who else I would say is definitively um, a better prospect. And, and I think Keandre Lambert may be the best overall prospect at his position right now. He's just a very polished player. And, and I think he has the demeanor and mindset. Reminds me a little bit of KJ Hamler, f- f- just where they were mentally as high school players. He's a, he's a different guy physically than KJ was. But they, they remind me of just guys who just seem so sure that they're going to just take that step and and you, and there's just no timidness and he's got the uh, the NFL tie with Cam Chancellor being his his uncle and uh, you know it just seems like a kid who's been very ingrained uh, about what college football is all about. He's not going to duck away from the spotlight. I think it's been reflected in how he has handled his rec- his recruitment process. And if Penn State is to add him. Uh, yeah, I think outside of Theo Johnson, this is the guy among the the uncommitted targets that you point to and say, uh, if Penn State gets him, that takes the the recruiting class in totality uh, to a different realm. I'm not saying it's going to become a top five recruiting class all of a sudden, but Keandre Lambert, as I said, I think he would be their best offensive recruit committed to this 2020 class. And I think, you know, he gives guys like Curtis Jacobs, Enzo Jennings, Cole Brevard a run for their money and being the, the, the top singular talent as currently constructed. 
And speaking of wide receivers, Penn State made a move on an in-state one uh, earlier this week. Anthony Ivey from Mannheim Township, uh, 2022 kid. You and I have both seen him at camp. We were impressed with him over the summer. He came out, uh, missed part of the, or the start of the season with an injury, came out, had eight catches for 252 yards and two touchdowns last weekend. Uh, sort of the, the right first impression to make if you're a sophomore. So Ivy's been a guy that uh, you and I kind of felt that it was just a matter of time before he got that offer. They obviously saw what they liked in the camp and, and, and just watching him. If you like Jahan Dotson, I think you're going to like Anthony Ivy a lot. A Lancaster Lebanon League receiving record based on what Be I'm careful, it's here. Lancaster, and you're going to get yelled at for that one. So What did I say? Lancaster. Oh, okay. There is a difference, yeah. Whoops. Um, well, anyways, yeah. Th- so this kid had to wait his time a little bit because of an injury. And, and I, thinking back to that camp, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was when it was uh, uh, Mega was there and, and Liam Clifford was there. And, 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 and there was a few, like, eventual Power Five. Norval Black was there, yeah. Norval Black. And, and the, the kid who committed to Washington State, uh, whose name escapes me now, who was Christian there. Christian Fitzpatrick, yes. There we go. So it, it was not an easy day to stand out among receivers. And with Ivy... The only thing was he, he looked more like a kid than the rest of them, which is fine because he was legitimately younger than everyone. But yeah, the way he moved around the football field and uh, just just the kind of the speed he brought and, and, and going back and seeing what he accomplished in his first year at the high school level. Yeah, this felt like a matter of time situation. It turns out all it needed was him to go out there and, and break that league record in his first game of his sophomore year. And he's a guy that I think he's going to be a name that that gets talked about a lot as the Pennsylvania you know landscape develops for that cycle, and uh, he's he's a guy who's going to uh, you know rise to that rise to that top of that group, especially at his position. And um, you know, Penn State, uh, as, as I'm totally with you, this one was coming. It's out there now, and and I'll be curious to talk with Anthony. Hopefully, one of us will get him on on the phone soon just to learn how big of an offer this is, because you often hear it for especially. Uh, these younger in-state players to get a Penn State offer at this stage of their high school career, sometimes it really blows them away. Yeah, Central Pennsylvania shaping up okay in the 2022 class. Of course, Makai Flowers at Steel High was another camp standout for Penn State this year. Um, so we'll see where that one goes. On to the mailbag. It's something we're going to shoot to do on the early uh, week episode. Uh, not going to spend a ton of time on it, but uh, something we're going to shoot to do in the off off days, not really game preview or post-game stuff. Um, but uh, first one, with Franklin saying he's shooting for 30 total recruits, and again, we mentioned that was kind of uh, a, not really a round number, um, and seeing how Penn State will probably have 27 by Friday. Of course, he's referring to Keandre Lambert. Uh, who are the last two besides the obviously hopeful Theo, Theo Johnson? Uh, I think there's still a bunch of guys out there. Um, we, we mentioned, uh, of course, Theo Johnson is is really the, the main one. Darnell Washington's going to come for an official visit, uh, and you you just want to get him on campus. I don't think that anything's going to happen there. But Jalen Berger's interesting to me. Um, this is a guy that has kind of slow played his own recruitment, and I think it's going to come back to uh, to a school closer to home, Penn State or Rutgers. What's interesting to me is with Chris Ash getting fired, I, I think there's you know just more of an opportunity for him at Rutgers right now. If they make a good hire, if they bring in somebody that maybe he has a relationship with already, or that you know is connected to somebody in his school, I think Rutgers is going to have an opportunity to impress him. And I, I think he's kind of looking for a reason to stay home. And with a new coach. Coach Bump, you see, you see this happen all the time. I think uh, you know that certainly is something that really helps Rutgers. Um, we're talking about linebackers, uh, Ruben Hippolyte uh, for the the Maryland commit. 
obviously he tweeted he was solid to Maryland during the game, but obviously you know he was watching the game. So that's something that you have to watch out for. He's going to take an official visit uh, for the Michigan game. Darian Green Warden, Warren, excuse me. I've got a cold, so I apologize for my voice this entire episode. Darian Green Warren out in California. Penn State would like to add another cornerback. Ryan Watts is on that board as well. Penn State wants to get him up for an official. So there's a lot of names out there, and, and, and there's still positions that they're looking at. Corners there, linebackers there, offensive tackle is there. Um, I don't think you just cap it at 30. You just see where it goes from there. Ryan Watts is, we saw him on campus and, and he, he was an unofficial visit to Happy Valley and that kid stood out. I mean, long cornerback. I think he's got to be in that 6'3 range and still committed to Oklahoma, but he seems to be someone that the staff is steady communicating with. And uh, I think you mentioned Darnell Washington, uh, you know, a guy who's expected to get to campus is a, f- a close friend of a commit and quarterback Micah Bowens. And uh, that, that one looks more like a pie in the sky, but who knows, get a kid on campus, see what you can do. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and I think, again, as we see some of these programs kind of crash and burn over the course of this season, uh, there's a lot of that still to come. Uh, there's going to be opportunities to flip players, and, and as I said, if Penn State uh, is trending in that opposite direction and they're building up a lot of positive vibes and about their short-term and long-term outlook, uh, then who knows? Then, then who knows? But uh, yeah, it, the, the list of, of players that we're talking about is getting smaller but of course the slots available in this class are, are also uh, getting diminished. And we also have to keep in mind because of the new structure, Sean, always curious after you get through the early signing period and everybody kind of regathers and, and, and takes apart the board and then puts it back together with who's whoever is left. You're starting to see that trend where, you know, keep an eye out in January for, for some additional offers or around Christmas time for some additional late offers. So some of the names we're talking about during that run up to the early signing period there is kind of a wave two aspect to to how this calendar works now. Yeah, Smith, Filbert, and Joseph Darko weren't really on the radar at this time last year. Daquan Hardy, Daquan Hardy didn't have an offer until forty eight hours. Yeah, Yeah, so yeah, so it's uh it's it's interesting to see how that played out. Of course, they had a little bit more space last year, um, but uh, you you know numbers are are what they are. Uh, Next question: The offense struggled through some of the Buffalo game and all the Pitt game, and it was dominant against Maryland. So, which offense? Which offense was the aberration, and what should uh, fans expect in the upcoming weeks? Uh, well, this week, I think you see closer to the Maryland game. Um, you know, you, you, you continue to see the progress from Sean Clifford. Of course, you're playing at home against a team that you're better than. Um, as far as going to that next step, I mean, the huge test when they go out to Iowa, Clifford's, uh, you know, d- decision making needs to continue to evolve. His accuracy and ball placement needs to continue to evolve. And if that can happen, you saw on Friday night, you can get an idea of what this offense is capable of. Um, What's interesting about Friday night, and I did this a little bit in my second look, is it wasn't an overwhelming first half um, for, for Penn State's offense. I mean, they, you know, they hit a couple, of course, they hit on the short field, and then you hit the big play to Hamler. Um, it's just kind of traded some traded some blows, and all of a sudden you hit those big plays. Um, it's, it's just an interesting setup where, you know, the points just come from nowhere sometimes, and, and sometimes that's what needs to happen. Like I said, this, this is a big play offense that sets things up. Of course, they got 30 first downs on Friday night, which sort of really tilted the balance in their favor a little bit more. Um, but it's just a, it's the offense I think you can find somewhere in the middle when you play those games, the Iowa games, the Michigan State games, where you know uh, you, you don't have to put up 50 points. But at the at the end of the day, you've got the offensive talent that, that you can go on the road and put up 30 or put up 35, and that could, that could be enough. 
yeah, if they repeat the Maryland performance against a team like Iowa or Michigan State on the road, then then we're talking about a different trajectory for this Penn State program than what we've necessarily been kind of discussing. Uh, that, but that, yeah, that I, right there, <laughs> that right there is a team that's better than the opposition also getting breaks and when they don't need them. I mean, Maryland's shooting itself in the foot with penalties and, and things like that and bad, tur- really bad turnovers. Um, then uh, it's it, it's something where, you know, Penn State was good, 59 nothing. I don't want to say it's misleading because they, they beat the hell out of Maryland, um, but uh, it's something that just looks it's probably probably more like a 49 nothing game. Not sure that that matters at all. Oh, yeah, 49 nothing, 59 nothing. I think you'll take them both. And and I think when you look at this offense in general and you're trying to see which way this thing is trending, aside from that, again, who's scoring the touchdowns? Uh, well, you got a sophomore quarterback doing his thing. You got a sophomore in KJ Hamler, a sophomore at running back, Ricky Slade and Journey Brown both reaching the end zone. We know Pat Fryer moves a heck of a player. He's a sophomore. So is Jahan Dotson. The only guy who wasn't a sophomore or a freshman who got involved in the end zone against Maryland was Nick Bowers, who good for him. Uh, first off, really a guy who's had a heck of a journey to get to this point as a fifth year senior, but he is very much an outlier when you talk about what we've seen early season. And, and that leads me to believe that there's no reason these players should not continue to improve as long as the coaching staff puts them in a situation to do that. Uh, and, and so I, I would lean more towards seeing less of what you saw against Pitt and more of some uh, of the impressive drives and, and, and execution that you saw against Maryland. I don't see if you'll, I don't think you'll see it sustained over the course of 60 minutes, uh, like we saw against Maryland, where it turns into a party. Although we talked about what Purdue's dealing with, it could kind of turn into a similar situation on Saturday if Penn State shows up ready to play. Yeah, and this is the type of jump that you want to see from this offense. Of course, like I said, I, I can't emphasize enough how much of that was on Sean Clifford. Uh, you know, just the the things that he did, and and some of the decisions weren't all that different from what he did against Pitt. But he put the ball where he needed to put it. He got moving around a little bit. That Journey Brown touchdown pass um, was almost, uh, you know, I, I wrote it had some schoolyard to it. I mean, it's just him moving around a little bit, dumping it over top of the the linebacker that was forced to either turn and run with Brown or trying to make the play on Clifford, and all of a sudden it turns into a big play. So. You can see the evolution of Sean Clifford trying to make those decisions on the run, trying to, to do things on the fly. And when he can do that, I think that's when this offense can certainly click. And I agree with you. Yeah, I think you're going to see closer to what we saw against Maryland than what we saw against Pitt. Clearly, Clifford's been reading the second look put together by you, Sean, and, and that I hope all of our 24-7 subscribers are checking out on a weekly basis. It, it's scary how easy Maryland was to scout. And that's <laughs> if you're a Maryland fan, number one, you got to be sort of terrified at some of the, the reads that Josh Jackson made and the throws that he made. But on top of that, it's not very complex what they do. And when you can identify and pinpoint what they do and where you can attack, they're not a very tough team to beat, as we saw on Friday night. Yeah, we'll see what lies ahead for them. Let's get to the next question. It kind of uh, it goes back to, to what we spoke of earlier. An update on true freshman playing time through four games who may be eligible for red shirts. Again, I'll point to our, our content on the site. Uh, Sean, you put together the freshman tracker on Monday. I expanded on that Tuesday afternoon, uh, breaking down uh, this kind of audible. As I said, the coaching staff has has changed things up. You got five guys that you can expect to burn it. Uh, four of them will do so against Purdue unless something changes. That'll be the two running backs, Ford and Kane, uh, Keaton Ellis, uh, and additionally, See, I'm always going to miss Brandon somebody. Smith, yeah, and, and, and my boy yeah. Brandon Smith. Adiza though has played three games. Based he's on played three games. Uh, they're going to. I mean, he's a green light. I just, he's going to surpass know. that. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to surpass that. Just the the important ones to know is 
pumping the brakes on Caden Wallace and Lance Dixon. And another thing to know as well, three names were mentioned by Franklin. I didn't say this earlier of guys that you could see getting involved for really their first times and, 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 you know, get them a game or two here, or there, Tyler Rudolph safety. Uh, and then the two wide receivers, John Dunmore and TJ Jones, uh, Franklin mentioned special teams. He also mentioned offense and defense. I think that's a situation where look, it, it's going to depend on the score. You're not going to put those guys in. If you're in a four point game in the fourth quarter on the road, uh, and, and they probably won't be on the road with with you, but home games are where you're going to point to. If you if you want to see some more of these freshmen who aren't going to burn their red shirts, I think the home games are what you look at because you're not talking about the travel roster. Um, and I think there will be opportunities starting with this Purdue game and, and concluding, as you've referenced several times, with the Rutgers game. Yeah, I mentioned that once or twice. But uh, Dunmore and, and Jones, and this is another point entirely, if you're going to recruit Florida, if you're going to you know go into that area and tell these kids they can play early, and obviously those, those guys are behind the guys that are playing right now, but you can get them some catches, you can get them some stats to put on and, and some highlights to put out and, and sort of spread around to their Florida guys. So if you're going to go out and recruit Florida, I think it's a good idea to play Dunmore and Jones just to get some of that buzz going. So many layers to college football and how and how coaches handle their personnel. It's unbelievable. Um, last you one see here. see Cider wearing a giant Florida chain next week. It's going to be great. <laughs> This is uh, becoming Franklin's favorite question of every media gathering, the running back committee. And here's the question. Uh, It's still running back by committee right now. Do you think Franklin will eventually pick one to be the every down back? My initial response is, who are you taking off the football field? Because each of these guys have shown they can change games. They can change drives in their own rate, in their own right. And then I guess my long-term response is, I don't see it coming down to one guy. Uh, Could I see it coming down to maybe two guys uh, potentially, but right now um, it it will be interesting. The one thing I, I, if if anyone's trending in a direction towards being someone that you're leaning on a bit more, I would say it would be journey Brown. Um, But I know a lot of people out there love Noah Kane. I think you and I have both repeatedly said that all four of these running backs have shown things that they can do. A lot of people are going to point to Ricky Slade's fumble early. Uh, He had 21 rushing yards for the first three games. Well, he put together his best game of the season on the road against Maryland. And well, you could say that for a lot of guys, but Noah Kane kind of, you know, was a bit of an afterthought in terms of the box score here where Devin Ford continues to wow you. Journey Brown makes plays as a receiver, as a rusher. So who are you taking off the field? That's really, that's really what the question comes down to. Your answer was much longer than my answer, which is just no. There's there's no number one back team or number one back on this team. I don't know that uh, there's been a gap that's big enough for you to say that this that, that there is a number one back. I think I agree with you. I think people are starting to, to pick sides, and that's sort of uh, clouding the judgment here. Um, Journey Brown has had a couple of, of, of good performances, and he's shown that he can do that breakaway thing. I think Ricky Slade, just watching the Maryland tape, very close to breaking one. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a, a good day on Saturday against Purdue. And then, I mean, it, there's there's not the drop-off that you would think with these true freshmen. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with Noah Kane. You saw it last uh, on Friday with Devin Ford. And these are, these are pretty good backs. And so, no, I don't see that changing. To me, the conversation is almost more, do you see any separation at the bottom of this group? Because, you know, I, I don't see that either. And, and Devin Ford... You've, you, I know you're high on him. We've talked about him. J1 Sider just, when he throws out the word on human to describe a player who is already given a lot of love to for what he's doing mentally, uh, yeah, I, I think 
I, I, you, who are you going to find? And, and short answer, no, as Sean said. So those are the mailbag questions. Again, we'll try to bring those your way on Tuesday if you bring us uh, the mail to, to sort through, and, and, and we'll find uh, some good ones that will generate some, some solid storylines and conversation here on the podcast. Sean, anything else to add? I, I know you are uh, under siege from, from your sons uh, currently. Yeah, uh, this is going to be one that I wrap up very quickly. That's, uh, that's it for me. Uh, no, not really much to add, and we'll, I guess we'll see you later this week. Yeah, we'll catch you uh, with another edition. We'll preview the Purdue game. It is a beat-up Purdue team, but we'll get into some of the ins and outs of that matchup. It's a noon kickoff in Beaver Stadium. And as always, we'll bring you a post-game podcast, much more manageable than our 1 a.m. session down in Maryland last week. We'll have that one for you on Saturday. For now, stepping away, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, representing the Lions 24-7 podcast.